first line. Do you have a deep cut that you want to hear? Tell us what show you'll be attending and why the song is important to you. Please keep your message under 20 seconds. <laughs> hey guys, it's Kyle Lucas here. Producer, uh, recovering entrepreneur, and people's champ, Sam Brooks. Welcome to the show, Sam. A recovering entrepreneur, man, oh man, that just, um, that perfectly summarizes the last four years <laughs> of my life. Uh, this is fun. I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm working through some Peter Pan shit. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, we, we've got you on because, first of all, you're a good friend of mine, and uh, you're, uh, you're a good Alberta boy. Uh, who loves music as much as I do. You've got a great radio voice and um, you've been selected because also you understand this business of audio entertainment. Tell us a little bit about what you do and why you, how you earned that nice blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> well, I, how I earned the nice blue check mark on Twitter is uh, our web editor at the journal uh, just got the entire staff verified. It was wonderful. <laughs> Must uh, be nice. So that was... <laughs> Yeah, it, it just it was uh, it was one of the few perks from that job that I'm still carrying with me. But uh, what I'm doing right now is, uh, you know, amongst other sort of freelance things here and there, um, I do a lot of video production. Uh, I've been my my day job now is starting last November. I helped launch a new daily news and current affairs show. Uh, we have a bit of a national platform. It's wonderful. It's called Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson. Uh, Ryan is a guy that. I, I kid you not, I know because we have the same favorite bar. Um, <laughs> I was there, uh, yeah, when his uh, just serendipitously, uh, you know, got got on his radar right when his show was canceled on uh, on Chad Radio here, and he wanted to start an ambitious uh, ambitious independent project. And yeah, I remember the first meeting because he, he said to me, "It's just like so we're going to do this as you know we're going to do a, a podcast." And I was thinking something weekly, start small. And he's like, "We're going to do it daily." Uh, okay, we're, we're doing a daily podcast and uh, we're going to do it live to air. Uh, okay. And uh, we're going to, to do it uh, web streaming as well. So we're going to have it on YouTube as well as on like an audio streaming app. Uh, okay, I can do that. And he's like, and you know, I'd like you to, to put on your radio voice and chime in from time to time. And I'm just, I wish you could see my face because it was, uh, that was, that was ambition uh, galore and it paid off. And, you know, we're now one of the one of the number one news and current affairs shows in Canada, and we're nine months into this. So it is a, it's a really, really fun project to be part of. Yeah, and I was just so happy for you because, I mean, I like you have such a varied background. And for our guests, uh, I, I talk a lot about being a journalist, so everyone, you know, like, shut the fuck up about being a journalist, Brie. Uh, but we did meet through student journalism. Um, we met through our uh, mutual involvement. I mean, yours was more than just involvement in the Canadian <laughs> University Press uh, when you were uh, the president of and um, around a time when I'll say 
I didn't realize how many cup guys had a crush on me, which like, look at me. I look like a weird muffin that's been sitting on top of the trash pile. Like, Are you, are you outing me? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, no, because you weren't the only one, man. <laughs> um, but and, and I met you and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the nicest guy I've ever met. And you had recently been made cup president and I was about to move to Toronto. And so it's like, OK, I have a Toronto friend. And you were in Toronto for all of one year before they sent you away from me. Um, yeah. You know what's interesting, Bree, is, is like you—you you always struck me as—I I mean, I know you're from a small town, and that you—you uh, you went to uh, Laurier. Uh, Laurier, thank you. Mm-hmm. There's so many universities floating there around in my too head. Many. That was—that uh, is one of the scarring things from the the cup president job is uh, you know just mastering the layout of the post secondary landscape in Canada. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, but you like you you struck me as a Toronto native. Like oh. you had the Toronto swagger to you. You were <laughs> you were a cool Toronto kid. Oh, what a compliment. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because when I met you, I was me like, oh, he seems like a really nice like fellow small town or like small city person. Because I actually, I will say I'm from a small city. North Bay is a small city. Um, it, I think it's like that old rule of there's a cathedral in it. So there's a city. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, like I've always assumed it's like a, a population cutoff or something like that. It is not because certain but, things are still towns. But yeah, when I worked for the federal yeah. government, I learned... And all you have to do to become a city from a town is just apply. Like Richmond Hill could be a city and it chooses not to. Um, yeah. But I was like, oh, he seems like a nice small town or small city guy. And I was like, oh, no, he's from Edmonton, like, um, which is not not a small town by anyone's stretch of the imagination. But, you it's, know. Yeah, it's a like it's very much an I call Edmonton. It's like an adolescent city right now. It's mm-hmm. sort of, you know, it's it's. It, it's interesting that you brought up the Thai Cats right off the top because I love the CFL and I love Hamilton and that's part of like oh, what fuels this Hamilton attachment this to uh, to the Arkells. And when I lived in Toronto, Hamilton felt like home to me because it was a it was a blue collar industry town that was giving way to uh, very affordable places to live, so it was attractive to young entrepreneurs and artists and media types, and that sort of grew its own culture around Hamilton. And Edmonton is really going sort of through that same transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, you know, we're a lot bigger than Hamilton, but like Edmonton is really akin to Winnipeg. Is actually really akin to Kitchener Waterloo. I always felt really at home in, in K Dubs. So mm. it's uh, yeah, that's sort of the vibe of of Edmonton. Which I mean, I guess to your early question of he's this this good old small town small city boy uh, I've, I've just named a whole bunch of medium-sized cities but uh there's still a lot of those elements are the same you know that's your business card like sam brooks medium city boy um sam what the world really wants to know is when did you peak i oh my god i i it's uh i've been I, I knew this question was coming because, you know, I've, I've listened to other episodes, so I, I get the format. Of the Thank show. you. Uh, <laughs> Some people don't. <laughs> so the thing, I mean, okay, the, the honest answer is I wish I haven't yet. Um, it's like I've gone through so many waves and like right now I'm kind of on an upswing with this show that I'm doing and with just sort of, 
I think what every everybody that's worked in media is fear is like having to suddenly make freelance work for you. And I was just kind of thrust into that. Um, and so, you know, it, it simultaneously feels like a low point and like heading towards a high point. And, you know, before this, I was... Uh, I felt like I was really at like a good peak, uh, you know, midway through my last job when we were doing cool projects. I, I co-owned a, a video production company and we were doing cool projects like road tripping through the U.S. to get uh, 360 degree planetarium footage of the total solar eclipse. Like that was a serious high. And I was just like, everything is working out for me right now. and And it's been it's been quite a steep slope down from there. So maybe that was the peak. I don't know. Well, the thing about peaks is sometimes the slope is uh, is dramatic. But um, as we've learned from, I, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this, there's this crazy virus. I don't know if you've heard about it, but um, it's proven that multiple peaks are possible. So, oh, I'm depressed. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're in number four. Yeah. Isn't this great? I mean, uh, I'm not the only millennial who started a podcast during COVID. Um, but so I, I guess I get I have to add myself to that list too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Sam mentioned it. We're uh, we're bringing you another musical episode just after chatting with Cam uh, two weeks ago about Radiohead. We are back. We're talking about one of the most I'd say beloved current Canadian bands among, especially our set, the millennial set and Gen Z. Uh, they've earned incredible commercial success. Um, largely in Canada, somewhat outside of Canada. And it wasn't too long ago. Uh, you know, it's hard to imagine, but really less than 10 years ago, we were going to see their shows at our local campus bars and campus centers. So we're talking about Arkells, sometimes known as the Arkells, but it is technically just Arkells. Uh, so Sam, can you tell me a little bit about your sort of history with the Arkells, how you came into listening to them, what your history with them has been like, and your, your fandom and engagement over the years? Yeah, so it's... Oh man, it's really interesting because this like leading off with that that brief chat about sort of our you know our, our brief little crossover time in Toronto, um, that was kind of around the time that it, it like they became really on my radar and really sort of part of you know the I don't want to say my identity that's a little weird way to put it but they they were in my my regular rotation they were in the zeitgeist of of what I was listening to at the time and so I mean I I think like you I discovered them through a campus bar uh, not even the University of Alberta where I went but McEwen University here in Edmonton uh, had them playing like just a small stage in, in an atrium area and uh, I went because I had nothing else to do and uh, these guys are pretty cool and they were a lot of fun to listen to and they just sort of had this like real uh, you know, for somebody that was of the age that was perfectly relatable to everything the Arkells sang about, it was, you know, the, you kind of get that magnetic hook to it. And then mm -hmm. within that same year, I found myself packing up and moving to Toronto because I, I got that cup job. Uh, and they, you know, this was right around when Michigan Left was coming out. Um, it was the... All of a sudden, all the Ontario references were just relatable to me. And it's just like, you know, so I went from from viewing the Arkells as as this band from Hamilton that like sort of wore that on their sleeves a bit to to understanding a lot of what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, because like the university culture in, in, in southern Ontario is very different than it is here. Um, 
you know, most people that are, are born and raised in Edmonton go to the University of Alberta or McEwen University or Nate, and most of us lived at home like I did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of the, the themes that, that sort of come out in Arkell's music is really in that early university vibe, at least in their first two records. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, I think, what was... Especially, like, you know, we're basically the same age. And so we, you know, effectively, like, went through university and went through these life changes with the band mm-hmm. as they were doing it. Oh, yeah. And it, it always made it so that their music was, like, very touchstone to us. Yeah. I, we are the same age, though, by the way. We were born in 89. I just took an yes. extra year to do high school. So that's why I was late to graduate, as uh, as my friends will all point out. Um, so I started listening to Arkell's shortly. By, by the way, throughout this, I am probably going to say the Arkell's at some point, just because it's a weird instinct. I know it's not proper. Uh, sue me. Please don't sue me. Um, but um, I, but yeah. also a fun drinking game if you're listening at home. I don't drink anymore. So, uh, Sam, you're oh, okay. going to have to do this for me. <laughs> no, please don't. Don't. And please don't sue me either if you get hurt out of this. Um, so no, I started listening to Arkell's shortly after Jackson Square came out. Um, I was in the beginning of my second year at Laurier and my best friend who lived in Guelph she messaged me one day and like it's weird like I still at 32 have a really hard time asking people for favors and it's weird how in university we're just like hey can I stay at your place that's just a normal thing in university uh so she was like hey I'm gonna be in town for a concert can I crash at your place and uh I was like yeah cool who are you gonna see Arkells and I was really just like ah never heard of him but I said you know I'll give him a listen and I was like, oh, I can dig this. Like, and I was so into like, as as you guys know from my six episodes, so into the screaming music and whining hardcore music that turned out to be secretly Christian music and stuff. Like, I was ready to listen to happy music again. And um, the funny thing was my friend ended up not being able to go to that concert. Uh, but instead I was like, you know, I'm gonna go. Like, I'm not doing anything. Like, they're really fun. And they, I think like, yeah, like he said, like magnetic is a great word to describe them. I think they just have this wonderful positive energy. And that's what I really liked about them. Like, and I will say my what appealed them to me was that none of them are uh, incredible musicians. I wasn't watching, you know, it's not like watching Radiohead where it's like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen or whatever. It's mm-hmm. more just like, I feel so at home and I feel so like these are my peers. Like they're not that much older than we are. And um, yeah, so uh, the Arkells are, are, I mean, they are, they're quintessential comfort food. Yeah. And, and that's like, that is why I still like just, I'm never in a bad mood if they come on a playlist. You know what I mean? So all, it's like, yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's still, I know exactly what you mean is that like sometimes you just sort of need that, need that feel good vibe out of out of something Mm -hmm. i i so i've pretty much been a fan since then um and i would say my biggest time as a fan was actually because like i know we both mutually described their style as very college rock especially early um but for me i i think their music resonated with me most in that immediately done university stage and especially like when I, I was listening to the most Arkells when I was freshly single and living that kind of I'm new to the city, like my life is still kind of messy, but I'm just like, I'm ready to get hurt and stuff. And like that, it's like so um, it, it's music that really resonates with youth to me. And like that kind of I'm an adult and I'm doing things for myself, but not really. And I'm going to fuck up and then I'm going to write a song about it. Um, I would say my interest has waned a little bit, but I still like really respect them as people. 
Like they seem like such good guys. And I think you know, they put out really entertaining content. Musically, I'm not super into the new direction they're in. Although I really liked Rally Cry. Like Rally Cry actually is to me one of their best albums, but like everything since then, like, and I do get a little, a little sick of people saying like, oh my God, bands are allowed to change. Like, yeah, they, they are, but I'm not obligated to like it. Like, I'm not saying they have to go back to the way they were, but I'm just like, oh, like, maybe this isn't for me anymore. Like, I don't think they sold out or anything. And I, again, I really like how much they've continued to experiment with things like adding horn sections and adding soul singers, but I just don't get as excited about their music anymore. Like when they announced that their new album was coming out in September, which it'll be out by the time this episode airs, I was, I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I think there's just been too many like quote unquote anthems. And I still, maybe I haven't, maybe I'm not in the right stage state of mind musically, but I'm like, I just want to fucking bop. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And like, I have, I don't want to say theories about this, but when you asked me to be on the show like two weeks ago, text me about it. I just listened to the Arkells a lot and, and like went through very academic analysis of like the shifts that they've made and that kind of stuff in my head. And, you know, one of the things that I, I really started thinking about is that in you know early Arkells, especially when they were doing that serious college rock circuit and they did a lot of like, you know, outdoor festivals and that kind of thing. Um, they they had two records and they weren't the band that would play just every track on their record to fill a full set list mm -hmm. right like they kept it to the uplifting bangers and to fill out the second half of their set they played motown covers oh god I love and that, that was stage. probably the most fun version of the arkells mm -hmm. but then you know some of what's coming out now um, you know, particularly some of the stuff like on Rally Cry mm -hmm. and and whatnot, uh, you get a little bit more of that soul vibe, a little bit more of that backbeat, a little bit of that, that horns, horn section, like that's Motown music. Yeah. That is something they've always been doing, but they're just kind of putting it up front now. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's a great way to segue into kind of the history section, um, which, um, God, I read a tweet the other day that was like, oh, I'm realizing that most true crime podcasts are just like, charming people reading wikipedia and i, I feel bad because a lot of this is just taken from wikipedia as well as i should state my own interviews with the arkells because i have interviewed them like three or four times yeah um, we got to get into that i've i've shot for them before i have i have nothing interesting to say about them except they're the nicest band i've ever met <laughs> you know so i think in order to discuss their history and you know, we've, we've mentioned it a little bit but we really need to talk about Hamilton. Uh, and because I do have, um, interestingly enough, a pretty sizable US audience, which I'm going to largely credit the, some of the guests I've had on. Um, That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it's nifty for sure. Um, but um, I, I'd say like I, I jokingly called Hamilton the Jersey City of Canada, but I don't think I, I don't I've never been to Jersey City. So that's probably really unfair of me. Um, so it's a mid-sized city outside of Toronto. I think it's like half a million people. And it's technically not even the greater Toronto area, but close enough. Like there are a lot of people who live in Hamilton and work it, It's in part of the reason why a lot of people are using uh, GTHA just so Hamilton can feel included. Well, it's a transit term. It, it actually is. Like it's a tool that was created by the provincial government to you know keep our, our regional transit system. But uh, oh, it would be nice to have a regional transit. Uh, yes. Alberta is special yes uh and with where i'm moving hamilton is going to be kind of my link to the gta so that's interesting that's cool. but yeah um so it's about 40 minutes away and like we we've had friends who have moved out to hamilton and commuted to toronto um 
but and, and I used to teach in Hamilton for about three years, so I have a lot of affection for the place. Um, it throughout the '90s. Uh, and con confirmed by my husband, who did live in Hamilton in the 90s and 2000s, um, Hamilton was regarded as not very nice among the middle class set, especially if you were like in Hamilton. There's, you know, some suburbs that really aren't considered Hamilton at all. Um, there's downtown and the mountain. And there's a they there are a few lyrics even about downtown versus the mountain in uh, in Arkell's music. So, But if if you're on the mountain, you're considered fine. If you're downtown, ooh, that's sketchy. Um, and it's it's a steel manufacturing town. It has a tough reputation. Um, in the 2000s, like especially post recession, uh, like it started to become regarded as this artist haven, and you know, super crawl, which is its big artist crawl in the fall, started really gaining steam. Uh, and it was around, I think, 2006, around this period that the Arkells, the guys met at McMaster, uh, which is the local university there in 2006. And um, that was when Hamilton had started down its own path uh, to gentrification. So again, it was the place that where if you were in Toronto and you were middle class or below and you couldn't afford a home, you went to Hamilton. Like they, There's a reason they call it Queen West West. And uh, so the Arkells aren't actually all Hamilton natives. Like I know Max is from Toronto because he went to uh, school in like Kensington area. So I think that's all the more reason why I think the affection that they have for Hamilton is very, very sweet. Um, if you listen, for example, to the lyrics of Cynical Bastards on High Noon, it, it really is about how like people call Hamilton sketchy and dangerous, but then they take advantage of like the low housing prices and stuff. So um, I feel like you have to understand Hamilton to understand their roots. Yeah, I, I guess what I'd add to that is, you know, as you mentioned before, uh, they met as students at McMaster. And um, so not being, you know, being a mix of Hamilton natives or like you said, Max is from Toronto and they're all from sort of, you know, in the southwestern Ontario realm. Um, they saw Hamilton through the eyes of university students, yeah. right? And I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, when you talk about the, the, the difference in the class structure in Hamilton and whatnot, um you add another layer of being young and being on your own for the first time and having a lot of these life-changing experiences for the first time and and we're going to form a band and we're going to make it yeah. and you know <laughs> just sort of that attitude i mean it's i mean first of all it's very it's very scrappy it's yeah. very hamilton you know what i mean like i think that that that's very reflective of just sort of the the city that they've kind of written albums that are love letters to yeah. but you know i i also think that it's it's worth saying that like they definitely put themes in there where they saw Hamilton from that from that downtown class but even from that like young downtown class y you know from that class that was active in, in in really trying to change Hamilton yeah you know what I mean because like McMaster it's it's not it's not the most downtown but it's not on the mountain it's definitely not on the mountain um and like where they lived because they uh so they originally uh called themselves as a band Charlemagne that uh that band was that band name was taken, so they named themselves after Arkell Street, which they used to jam on. Um, and yeah, it's um, and I know like a lot of like, I mean, I've I've said uh, you know a few times on this podcast that like these days like it's really hard to even make decent money and like make a living as a singer, and, and because like few, there are fewer oh, yeah, superstars sure. these days. And when you look at the ones that are superstars, they are largely people who came from money and came from well-connected. Like the best example, Billie Eilish. She's very talented, but she would not have the career she had if her parents weren't, you know, quote unquote, somebodies. And I'm not saying Arkells are a comparable fame level to that. Like they're still very Canadian, but like 
their parents were like teachers and social workers and stuff. And so I think that is like another part of the reason why I think everyone loves these guys so much is because they are just they had really normal middle class upbringing. You can see yourself in them. Yes. Yeah. It's, I, and because I mean, you talked about how like you don't really actually even have stories from interviewing them and, and like. Uh, parallel to me when I actually got to like have a little bit of one-on-one time with a person. I mean, the first thing that struck me is I was uh, just, you know, um, they reached out on social media, which was a brilliant move by them PR wise when they were doing a festival in town and they would do this in every city and they would just say, uh, you know, uh, tweet us and or email us or something like that and uh you know if you're if you're a competent photographer and you can get an all-access pass and shoot the band tonight (laughs) so of course i threw my hat in the ring and they picked me and uh the first thing that struck me was weird is that you know it was at k-days which is you know the 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 big exhibition in edmonton similar to like the cne or the pne or wherever it is in canada that you're listening to and and i'm sorry i don't have american references but uh anyway i guess are just yeah right yeah Yeah. And, and so like I assumed I was coordinating or corresponding with a social media person or a publicist or a manager. No, it was just Max's phone. Like when he, like he literally was holding his phone or he was texting me right off of it. And I was just like, these guys are trusting. Like they, you know, and they're, and they're very just sort of like get it done normal guys. And in the, in the first, you know, in the in the little bit of backstage time that I had with them before they went on, I just sort of was like having a beer with them and, and quietly just like keeping, you know, keeping some distance, but like, you know, making some conversation. And, and they were talking about uh, guitar pedals, mm-hmm. which I guess is normal for a band to talk about and, and cats. <laughs> um, so it just like... You know, that little bit of personal experience that I got I got with them that I think a lot of fans are because they, they also, especially in that era, made themselves incredibly accessible to everybody. Yeah. Um, they always just sort of left this very genuine impression that, you know, they, they could be your buddies. Yeah, I love that. Um, so they signed with Dynalone Records, uh, which we I've talked about a lot on this podcast, episode six. I actually have a giant Dynalone Records poster in my office that I'm like, you can't make me take this down when I get a big person house. Um, but they released their debut album, Jackson Square, in 2008. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Jackson Square, but it's named after a Hamilton mall. But more importantly, it's named after something I love. It's a shit mall. I love shit malls. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So um, first and foremost, um, Edmonton has the most mall space per capita of i believe oh, all of yeah. north america and i mean like a lot of that is attributed to there, well what about the monolith. mall of america in uh, twin cities yeah, i'm talking about edmonton has one monster mall mm-hmm. and we have a lot of shit malls oh, I love we have a lot malls. of little ones that are just i live very close to one mm-hmm. uh it's it's anchored by a grocery store which is great because yeah. i go there all the time and a home depot that doesn't even connect to the mall and i mean my i'm constantly renovating so that's really convenient but like if you go into the mall like at its heyday it had a rink in it which is now like a weird used bookstore uh which is you know kind of connected to the food court because why not and then most of it is vacant space but also like jewelers um 
and and uh, and like some medical clinics have moved in and a dollar store. Of See, course. you understand shit malls. I used to work yeah. in a shit mall, but like my my fascination with them, it's like, what's the anchor store? And the anchor store is always something weird, like a Planet Fitness and like a, a Food Basics or whatever. And then there's always like an inexplicably like big appeal. Like I used to work in the shit mall. I used to work in. It was anchored by a movie theater and a sport check, which was awesome. But oh, oh, this one here yeah. has a closed movie theater on the upper floor. <laughs> no, I ours have... was a Cineplex that was active, but we also had a Heart, which it, Heart is like below Giant Tiger. Um, so Jackson Square in Hamilton, uh, it's distinct to me because, like I said, I taught in Hamilton for three years, and I used to have to take the you know ten fifteen go bus back to. Uh, back to Toronto and then get back and roll into bed at midnight and somehow keep doing my 40 hour week job too. Uh, my life was hell, but um, I would wait for the bus at Jackson Square and you're walking through it, a closed shit mall, even eerier. The only thing that was open at that hour was um, The Works, which is a shitty Canadian burger place. And uh, they serve you drinks in Pyrex measuring cups. So I just drink in my Diet Coke after dance class, you know? And so I'm just like, I, it. I don't think the novelty though ever died on me. Like, wow, the Arkells wrote a song or a, named an album after this place, and I, don't know, this, I think that's very cute. So um, the last time, last time I actually saw you in person was when I was uh, kind of <laughs> when I was laying low in Toronto for a bit, right? Um, and I, I told you it was because uh, it was my my like one of my best friends uh, and former roommate Jeff Hartford's uh, birthday, mm -hmm. and it was his thirtieth birthday, and I, I basically just like I've been coordinating with his cousin who was like hosting a party and uh, his girlfriend and and planning to just show up and surprise him, mm -hmm. and so I'm like going out. Uh, with you that afternoon hanging out for a bit and, and uh, have this hilarious picture on my phone of, oh, of me I'm, hugging you I want to find that disgusted. picture <laughs> it is it is my contact photo for you Yay! if you if you text me that's what comes up um, <laughs> but um, uh, uh, Jeff's cousin lives in Hamilton and she was hosting the party and so the next day I hopped on the go bus and, and went to Hamilton and I was I was too early and I think it was a it was like a Saturday afternoon and so um, Jackson Square was open but like I needed to kill a little bit of time and so I like dropped my bags off at, at Shannon's house and like just went for a walk uh, I, I was mostly just like looking for like maybe a brewery to get a pint or, or a cool bar and, and yes no I discovered I discovered Jackson Square and, <laughs> and I, I had to walk through it because I, I was just you know amazed that this place is real um, and and in it I stopped at a thing that does not exist in Western Canada anymore uh, a Laura Secord ice cream shop <laughs> and treated myself and I was very excited to find that because I grew up with one kind of close to my house and they haven't been in Western Canada for probably a couple, like 15 years. So little things in life. Hamilton and Jackson yeah. Square does feel like a bit of a time warp when you're there. Um, so between Jackson Square and their second album, Michigan Left, they toured largely as an opening act. And like you said, they were doing a lot of those outdoor festivals around Ontario, campus performances. They released Michigan Left fall of 2011 under Universal Music Canada. Uh, like Jackson Square, it was certified gold. It charted as high as number five. Um, almost immediately after, keyboardist Dan Griffin uh, quit the band and was replaced by Anthony Carone. Uh, they spent the next three years really doing a lot of touring, a lot of collaborations. Um, I know, like, they um, Max made an appearance on Lights' acoustic album, and she did uh, 
she did some surprise performances with them. This is when they started doing the Motown thing. They released uh, The Tie Cats Are Humming, named after Hamilton's CFL team. Um, but uh, then, so with, with Michigan Left came a little bit more commercial success, still largely Canadian, but um, they had uh, Whistleblower, which was a theme song for an AHL team, uh, the Calgary Hitmen, which, why do the AHL teams get all the cool names? <laughs> um, yeah, I know, right? Um, and then uh, the NHL 13 video game from EA Sports. And of course, uh, that was when they won Group of the Year at the Junos. Uh, American listeners, those are our Grammys. Um but then 2014, uh, 2014 was really, I think, a breakout year for Arkells. They released High Noon. It was their first ever platinum certification. And to my knowledge, they're only platinum certified. Um, and it was their last For album. a record, yeah. um, uh, Knocking at the Door is, is platinum certified. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I know that because, uh, like you, I have the Wikipedia page in front of me, <laughs> literally just so I can fact check things. <laughs> Great. You're going to um actually me. You're going to turn into a well actually guy. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say a well actually guy. It, it's it's kidding. like I don't want to I don't want to be talking out of my ass here, so I want to have a few facts in front of me. Uh, so um but uh that was their last album under Dynalon Records. Uh they got Group of the Year and Rock Album of the Year at the Junos. Their singles uh Come to Light, Never Thought that This Would Happen, Leather Jacket, were some of their band the band's biggest songs yet. Uh Leather Jacket I think is still one of their biggest songs. Um they basically after this I'd say entered into their state of constant touring. Uh they played with everyone. They played with Tokyo Police Club, Lights, uh Tragically Hip, Colorado, Augustines. 2016 came uh, Morning Report, which was certified gold. Uh, singles included Private School and Drake's Dad. And then the next year was when they released the non-album single Knocking at the Door, which was inspired by the Women's March on Washington. Uh, eventually, they did release a deluxe version of Morning Report with a few acoustic tracks uh, Knocking at the Door included on that. 2018 came the release of Rally Cry, which was their most kind of overtly politically charged album and uh, they began touring with Lord Huron uh, and in 2019 or late 2019 it might have been early 2020 they released Years in the Making another non-album single and, and pretty much consistently between the release of Rally Cry and when live music halted due to COVID-19 they were touring the entire time um, I was supposed to go to the rally in June of 2020 we'll see if that even happens for 2022 but um during the first year of COVID, they released their acoustic album, Campfire Chords, which was like 30 some songs. It was almost all their songs acoustic, um, yeah. along with the new single Quitting You. For how ambitious that album was, it was recorded almost entirely remotely and mixed by Anthony, which is really, really cool. Um, and then this past year, they have released the single You Can Get It uh, with vocalist Kay Flay and subsequently announced the release of their upcoming album, Blink Once, which again, by the time of this episode, uh, it will have been released. Uh, and they also, about a week ago, as of the time of this recording, performed their first live shows since COVID shutdowns. The long weekend show at Tor in Toronto at the Bud Sage, three nights. It was a big celebration. Everyone was really, really happy. So, like, big good for them. Um, they seem, they've been putting out a lot of really positive content throughout this. Uh, and also, I should note their uh, single, All Roads, um, they also partnered with uh, This Is Our Shot Canada to um, make a music video basically encouraging people to get their vaccinations. So uh, they, these guys are on the right side of history. <laughs> What's really interesting to me is it's like, you know, 
we just basically went through like the laundry list history of, of everything that the Arkells put out. And there were footnotes of, you know, this was, uh, this was the theme music for an AHL theme mm-hmm. or a team. Uh, this was used in a video game. This was uh, part of this commercial, this, you know, it, like they had these sort of different things here. And then even you talk about all rows of the air and, and the Arkells have always struck me as um, being unbelievably smartly managed if i can say that in that they make partnerships with like everybody and like so much of their commercial success is due to the fact that like they're just very good at getting in front of people and they're very good at you know kind of being that positive release that people need and and you know have been aligned with some big commercial brands for sure Mm -hmm. but you know a lot of smaller projects as well and a lot of causes and, and i just sort of think about the fact that like they they've always been masters at growing their fan base in this like very sort of you know genuine but you can tell they're making incredibly smart business decisions behind the scenes too you know what i mean yeah because yeah i've what's interesting is like i'm thinking of partnerships and there's an i think it might have been and if you'd asked me 10 months ago, I would have for sure known the brand because I knew every brand that was doing like media integrations and partnerships for my job. But um, I think it was PC, but like don't don't count or like maybe one of the Loblaw brands. But they did this like um, Christmas content thing of like just sitting around, hanging with their buds, like talking sports and talking pop culture and stuff. And it was like, you know, Max from the Arkells and Wayne oh, Simmons and Tessa yeah. Virtue. And I'm just like. You, you get the vibe that they're actually like friends with these people or even like um, at one of their Toronto shows well, from 2019 that I was supposed to go to. And then one of my fucking friends got married that weekend. Um, but they had Nick Nurse come out on stage and play guitar with them. Yes. A and week play with them. After I know. They had a week after the Toronto Raptors became NBA champions. So like they seem just like really well connected. And like, you, you know, you talk about them recruiting you, you know, as they as tweeted a at Air Canada and got to the Olympics. Yeah. It had you just imagine like Max like whipping out his phone like let me try, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and like the funny thing is you believe it's actually just him doing it too, mm. so you know it's yeah. like this wasn't some manipulated PR campaign like you know they just decided another thing that just blew me away is do you remember there was an era during the pandemic where almost every day Max uh, Instagram lives taught people how to play songs on the guitar? Yeah, but are we going to talk about how that was how Max Kerman was the one who revealed to the world, who finally confirmed to the world that Morgan Riley and Tessa Virtue were dating? See, you're I, not you're not a Leafs fan. I, this I did not know. You're not a Leafs fan, so you haven't been keeping up with this. There were rumors as early as like October 2019 that they were together, and a lot of people like didn't necessarily believe it. They're like, no way. I I didn't believe it because I thought, and I love Morgan Riley, but I'm like, she's too good for him. She's Canada's princess. And um, Max had been doing these like uh, at home chill sessions. He is, I should state, good friends with Kyle Dubas. Which if you if you listen to even a couple episodes of the show, I bring up Kyle Dubas probably once every three episodes. So you should know who Kyle Dubas is at this point. Um, and like one night he did, uh, you know, early in the pandemic, he did like an Instagram live with Kyle Dubas. One time he did it with, a you know, Mitch Marner. And then he's doing it with Tessa Virtue. And I was watching it and I was like really excited. But then all of a sudden Morgan Riley walks in the background. And I swear to God, Leaf Twitter, we lost it. We lost it. We were just like, oh, my God, they are together. They are quarantining. And it was the kind of thing where you could tell he didn't mean to step into the frame, but it's like, well, I might as well. And then 
the whole world they are canada's power couple they are the greatest um so yeah it max kerman utter delights broke broke the news we had all been waiting for <laughs> uh this was the, yeah this is the backstory that i had no idea what was going on there uh you just dropped that on me so uh, that's pretty cool <laughs> who, would, um, who wouldn't want to date tessa Bruchu? well Hope yeah well yeah yeah um um so in terms of some of the things i found and like i i wanted to hold this back because you kind of mentioned like when they started to mature as musicians and bring a lot of soul in and you know it was around their motown stage i think what a lot of people don't realize because arkells is not a band that a lot of people analyze a lot and and why do you really need to like they're just happy that's i mean that's part of the reason (laughs) why i feel like i've been trying to like i mean literally i've just been thinking about them while like walking the dog i kid you not like that's that is the preparation that i did for this podcast and i was like am i gonna come at this like way too academic probably not i don't know i'm fascinated by them after doing radiohead last night like i i am up for some shallow discussion you know uh, uh, that's good uh okay anyway but so um my yeah so but I, I know exactly what you mean it's like they're a weird band to analyze but like they're also like yeah they're fascinating to try and unpack so one of the most uh, one thing that i think if more people did analyze our or just talk about them frequently that i think would i would love to see get touched on is the fact that when tony joined the band how much they changed and i don't even think their songwriting style changed but i think it enhanced so much like the first time i saw them after tony became the keyboardist and he like he wasn't even doing that much crazy back then but he did a couple great piano solos and like i was a classically trained pianist i got to just about grade 10 and then did some some jazz piano as well and i found jazz piano very very difficult i find classical so much easier than jazz and like you can tell this guy is so well trained and I think like my, I love rock musicians that you can tell have training because my firm belief and my, my jazz piano teacher used to say, you got to know all the rules to know how to break them. And his solos were so good specifically because it's like, I know exactly what rules he's breaking. And like, he's so competent. He's so passionate. Um, I think what he did was he took their songs from potentially like from being bops, but maybe a little boring musically to being just very interesting. Even something as simple as saying, adding a seventh or a dominant seventh to a chord or diminishing it or changing the bass note, you know, say doing a D with an F sharp in the bass, you know, versus D. It just helps add a nice layer and make things more memorable. And I think a song that when you listen to it, it sounds like a really simple song, but Leather Jacket, how it's like, you are using that altered bass and stuff. And there's, so it just gives a little bit more of a sense of build and, um, so I, I think he really just enhanced the music, musicianship of the band when he came on board. And because that was just before they started doing the Motown thing and before they started like, let's bring in a horn section. And I, I you know, love that for them. <laughs> yeah. I, first of all, I didn't think we were going to get like this deep into music theory. So oh, well I done, had to Rody. teach someone um, <laughs> how to count five, four last night. So <laughs> I mean, it's hard to count five, four. I will, I shouldn't say it's hard. It's awkward to count five, four. That's what it is. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and like, I mean, the thing is I'm, I'm enough of a musician to, to understand exactly what you're unpacking in music theory. I'm not classically trained. I don't really know jazz piano. Uh, I've played jazz trombone before. Oh, just to, is, uh, just to clarify, I hope no one's expectation of, I was really bad at jazz piano. I didn't last a year. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> 
I mean, a couple of things. The first thing off the top I'm going to mention about Tony is is from that set of photos that I took for them at, at K-Days that one year. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite photos is I, I got. I got Basically, I got right up beside him and held the camera up over the piano. And like a couple of the other players were just like kind of leaning back into it, like definitely playing to the camera. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely amazing. So uh, that's yeah, one he, of my favorites. Yeah, he is a showman. For sure. He is, yeah. Um, but you know, to to sort of get back to what you're saying about that, I mean, putting aside the, I think what's really interesting, and I say this as someone that you know, because like everybody kind of grows up on their parents' music, and, and I've come to really like it. Like I, I adore Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, here's another classically trained pianist that turned you know, into a rock legend and sort of does his own style. And like, you can tell if you like, if you read Billy Joel sheet music, it reads like classical scores. Um, And where I'm going with that is it sort of added like a unique flavor to it. And I think that, you know, even in, in, in modern music and especially in a, an era where hip hop is king and, you know, sort of that alt rock is, uh, I don't want to say a dying breed, but it's, it's changing and it's shifting and it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't punch as, as far above its weight as it used to. And, and, you know, we'll go back to, uh, episode six of this podcast. If you uh, oh, want to learn more about that. Oh, we talk a lot about that in the Radiohead episode too. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, and now you have, um, not only, you know, an, an alt rock band, but like a piano driven alt rock band. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that I think makes their Kells very unique. It makes them so textured. Is, it is. And it's like and it's not piano driven the way that like the guess who is piano driven, where it's a lot of just sort of simple like I can play percussive like piano. Cummings. Yeah. Percussive. Yeah. It's very you know, it it's you can tell that there is a like a serious musicianship to the way that he's he's sort like there's definitely store there's songs where Tony's driving the bus. You know what I mean? Like he's like everybody's following him. And when he takes the wheel like that, um it's it's thoughtful. It's incredibly textured and layered and like you know put together the way a you know a a capital m musician would put it together yeah um so on the more i I guess critical side um one of the things i felt really almost fascinated by again this comes from my classical training but max around the time when high noon and like morning report was released i feel like and because i was still seeing them a lot live i think i've seen them 10 times live just wow but just they they were always playing at or around my campus um and that's i mean that's again being in ontario right it's yeah. like they they come here i mean like guaranteed you'll see them in edmonton once a year yeah. probably more than that I, but like yeah i mean i also like i am very i like i'm a talkative person but i'm very introverted into like i can't stand crowds which might have been that that picture of you hugging me at a bar it i also might have looked miserable because i was at a bar um but they're like one of the only bands that i will get out and go to and put up with a crowd for these days not so sure i I hate crowds even more but um yeah so they were one of the bands that i was still like because i i went through a stage where i'm like you know what I'm not even going to bother trying to go to shows anymore. I don't have anything to prove to anyone. I'm fine being a little hermit. Ooh, our cows are in town. Um, but I, so I feel like live, Max was doing a lot of singing that frankly seemed really hard on his voice. And I could tell, again, from my pretentious position as a trained singer, I'm like, this is too high for him. 
he's shouting too much he's not handling them properly he's not um handling his breath properly and and the problem like isn't oh that's not a good classically trained voice i don't want him to sing like he's singing don giovanni um the problem is that's going to kill your fucking vocal cords yeah you don't you you're worried for the guy i mean we said before the arkells are your buddies that's you you don't want him to burn out like i'm i mean i am a long-suffering alto they say i'm a soprano i am not i can't hit the note and knocking at the door i can't Mm -hmm. and so i'm like how can a man with testicles do that and the the answer is you can't like he i've i've seen videos of him doing it live where he i'm like oh he just blew a tire and um but it does feel like in the last i'd say two years or so like pretty much since knocking at the door and i do wonder if knocking at the door might have been like a wake-up call or something he's maybe either gotten some more training in terms of his voice or just like vocal management because a lot of like voice training like there's you know classical voice training like i did but i think every singer can stand to go through vocal training just in terms of like learning how to manage your voice and manage stress on your voice and um i've noticed because i haven't gotten to see them in a while that his voice seems so much better managed and he seems to be breathing more and you don't hear that tightness. And so that's nice to see as well, because that was honestly a bit of a, I mean, I'm concerned trolling here, but like, I was worried, like, is he going to like, before he's 40 years old, kill his voice? Yeah. uh, I'm actually quite envious of anybody that's had real vocal training. Like I just say that straight up the top. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah, and I mean, like, as an amateur musician that, that, you know, jams with his friends and and not much else, I just, like, I want to be a better singer, and I haven't, you know, actually taken the step to invest in doing it properly. Interestingly, so so much of it is about breath control and Mm -hmm. load management and stuff, and, like, that's why I say, like, even if you don't ever intend to be an opera singer, like, voice lessons are so good. Like, I don't have the voice I used to because I don't practice anymore, and I, I don't have the range or the projection that I used to, but I feel, like, so much more comfortable with my voice now because it's like, oh, thank God I learned how to, you know, carry the resonance through my temples and not my nose. Thank God I learned how to get uh, the voice out of my throat. So yeah, it's a worthwhile investment for everyone. Do you think, you know, part of it was, I mean, every, everybody in the world has just gone through a forced period of rest, so to speak. And, you know, we kind of talked about how they, they put up campfire chords during that, which is, I mean, it, it's almost like the perfect thing to do in a pandemic because recording everything stripped down and acoustic, you can do it at home. You don't need a big studio set up for it. It's like it, and you know, every musician kind of has to be a jack of all trades nowadays and, and know how to mix and know how to do a little bit of engineering. Yeah. And so it's amazing they put that together. But it also was a period where they were singing everything in lower registers and making it more accessible and kind of keeping it in that acoustic oh, yeah. vibe. And, and you don't you know, have to I, fight I want... as much. You don't have to fight yeah. with, um, with even the sound. Like you don't have to project as much. And like I actually think taking time off of live as well was really good for them. Yeah, for sure. Because I like it. You know, I'm speculating here, but Max could have very well just gone through a bit of an epiphany and said, like, this is, you know, this is what it's nice when this is how my voice feels when I'm not, you know, straining it all the time. Right. And so, you know, it's even reflective in some of the more anthemic stuff that's come. I mean, like years in the making has come out, which is is in that anthem vibe that they've been doing for a while, but he's not fighting to hit those notes. Yeah, I mean, the highest he has, the years in the making, and you can do that a little bit, you know, you can do a little hum with that. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, I, I, what, what we're saying is, Max, if you somehow you're hearing this, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Um, but um, so uh, again, I, this is probably the last like really critical thing I'm going to say. 
Was I the only person who hated Morning Report? Because I thought everyone was going to hate this album. And when I went to, you know, register my disgust on the internet, no, nothing like that. But like, no one, um, no one really said anything like it. I don't think anyone thought it was the greatest album in the world, but I was kind of waiting for everyone to be like, yeah, this, this album was really disappointing or whatever. But I do feel like that was around the era when everyone was realizing, oh, these guys are really lovable. So maybe people were like afraid to say it was a bad album. But like, I just think what Morning Report felt like was a collection of songs that weren't good enough to make it onto High Noon. That, and, mm. and I think it was really helped by the re-release with Knocking Out the Door, because I think Knocking Out the Door is one of their best songs. Um, but like when I think... Morning Report has some good songs. Like, I really like Round and Round. Um, I like that there's a reference to Electric Circus because that's like some old school 90s Toronto shit. Um, See, this is why I think you're a Toronto native <laughs> because you know old Toronto references when like 90s Toronto is is a, it like doesn't exist in my, in, you know, in my ethos. Ask me about the world's biggest bookstore. Uh, no, uh, they- I, Brie, tell me about the world's biggest bookstore. It was the world's biggest. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually think it was. I think that was flagrant false advertising. Some real stoners pot palace kind of things there. But um, no, um, I think that Morning Report, it, was, it wasn't that it didn't have a lot of good songs. It had some good songs. I think it had a lot of bad songs. And I think Passenger Seat is one of, like, I laugh at Passenger Seat and I shouldn't. I shouldn't, but it sounds like so melodramatic and the lyrics are very, it, what I will say is like, you know, we said it felt like we grew with the Arkells and it felt like, you know, they had that really cool angsty college thing. And then a lot of these songs, especially Passenger Seat, just felt like the band was too old for those kinds of songs. And you had this band that was really maturing, but then it had these other, like other little, like, I'm still, you know, in my first my first apartment with my first girlfriend kind of songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, the other thing is it's like I'm mixed on, on morning report because like there's, there's some stuff on there that, you know, I, I actually really like some of the singles on it, mm -hmm. but it's, um, passenger seat is like, I usually skip over it, oh, but it's, it's so slow. Yeah. Well, it's so slow. And it's just like, it, it, it's, like it's just too it's too much of a bummer Arkells have a um, lot of really good cathartic songs whether they're positive yeah. or negative songs and that doesn't really have any catharsis to it it's just kind of a stare at the ceiling song yeah pretty much and I mean because I, I think that like Morning Report sounds like a band that um, you know if I, if I can be a little bit critical here is uh, knows the college thing works for them yeah. but no longer can relate to those subjects yeah so it's a little forced how do you do you know what kids? I mean <laughs> uh, yeah I mean like you know Drake's dad lead off track which I actually love because I mean that's when they brought in the gospel choir yeah and it's just like that is just a fun tune and you know like oddly relatable but like that's the story of going to a bachelor party mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's one of those things that, like, how do you lead off a record with that story and then later pivot to um, sad first-year university stuff? Yeah. And then, but I do think, though, that Rally Cry, what a rebound. I mm -hmm. love Rally Cry so much. And because and, at first I was thinking, oh, yeah, like, I think Arkells had this kind of trajectory up and then trajectory down. And then I realized, no, Rally Cry, 
I go back and forth with do I like it even more than High Noon. Um, I have a High Noon tattoo, by the way. I don't know if you knew that about me. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. I, 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 I need a map of your tattoos. I have 13 but, now. Like, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I have two. I have. A, uh, I'm I, not a cool kid. <laughs> I have a midsummer tattoo, which really says how, my devotion to the absurd and disgusting. But um no, so I, I think Rally Cry, I mean, also, if uh, any of my students are listening, which I think some of my students do listen to my podcast, like, hey, kiddos, um, they I had them do a tap duet to um, People's Champ, which they oh, loved. Cool. I mean, I'd say the People's Champ, like, it's very obviously about Donald Trump. And it's one of those things where it's political, but it does, like, really hit you over the head. I'm like, this is not subtle at all. And and who, Arkells has never claimed to be a subtle band. Um, no. I there's so many like I love the song hand-me-downs because to me like hand-me-downs you can listen to it as like this is a really good bop oh oh no Sam's laughing at me <laughs> no finish it finish your story uh, I'll so tell you uh... it's a really good bop but also you can listen to it on the level that it's also about like generational trauma yeah so no uh totally it it's um my my story I, I genuinely love hand-me-downs um yeah. i agree with you on that i absolutely agree with you on that and it's it's one of those stores that like they're actually one of those bands that's incredibly skilled at taking like a very serious subject and making it a little bit more relatable and a little bit more fun yeah. and and packaging it in that way um you know but <laughs> hand-me-downs of course is the lead-off track on the record mm-hmm. And the first line is, you went to five schools before you were 17. Me. And I think, and, and I think, you know, partly because, as we talked about with Morning Reporters, like there's a little bit of them just like st- struggling to, to write to stuff that they had sort of matured past. Yeah. The first thing that went through my head is like, Max, you're too old to be singing about 17 year olds. Quit it. <laughs> um, and, and, then, and then you get into the song and you realize it's not about that at yeah. all. Um, but you know what I mean? One of my favorite lyrics from that song, though, is first of the month gets you stressed out, which is obviously talking yeah. about, you know, rent coming out of your account or whatever. And I <laughs> does it ever make me think of when I again, when I was first living in Toronto, like 2013, 2014, and like the first time in 2013 that I ever bounced a check and it was a rent check and it was the kind of thing where like I thought my it was that um, my paychecks took five days to clear because my bank is like, you shouldn't be making that much money, bitch. And um, and so my rent came out and there was nothing. And I, I was fine after that. I mean, hey, my, my credit's great. I just bought a damn house. But um, yeah, you did. But after that, it took years for me to stop. Like first of the month, my knees would shake. I would check my bank account obsessively, and I was just like in a constant state of panic. And so, like, it, it's I, I yeah. still do. Like, not in that sense of panic because it's very well managed. But like, yeah, I'm all, I'm also a freelancer and a contractor, and like, you know, I have to invoice for things and mm-hmm. have to sort of wait for that cycle. And uh, mortgage payments are are they they happen whether the money's there or yeah. not. So you know it, it's but I totally know what you mean, and it's one of those things where it's like it's it's in that perfect spot where it's like yeah. Hemi Downs is a song where I mean you're right it's about generational trauma, but I I think it's also just a little bit about um, learning that the the world is just not people that can perfectly relate to you. And I think that that was one of those things that was, you know, formative about moving to Toronto for me is that like the, the new people that I met, the bubble that I had left where I was like, again, like basically had the same roster of friends that I had from high school where I grew up in Southwest Edmonton in, you know, a, 
pretty, uh, you know, upper middle class suburb type area. And you learn about the, you know, the lived experiences of, of other people that you meet and, and you start to branch out a little bit like that. And, and you start to experience a little bit of that on your own too. And I think that, you know, the part of the perspective of that song is somebody uh, learning what somebody else's experience was yeah. like. You know what I mean? That's also what I think Don't Be a Stranger really, uh, like Don't Be a Stranger really hits for that reason. And um, which also also say that this might be a controversial thing to say that might be, make people laugh at me, but I actually get real Pixies vibes from that song. Um, very melancholy, yeah, very kind of like, yeah. it's like, okay, this is a bit of their 90s grunge influences. So, And then like um, Relentless. I think Relentless is such a great, um, uh, such a great, anthem and like i i'm not too into all their aggressive you know like there's their their too many of their anthems but i think relentless um for me like when i was teaching at the studio in hamilton um that was like we were a scrappy studio we were downtown so we were you know in a we were at maiden wentworth which if you know hamilton that is an area that when I told people not only that I worked at a studio at Maine and Wentworth, but that I used to walk to the GO station from there at 10 at night, people were like, what? Like, concern for me. But like, and so a lot of our kids, you know, from that like lower middle class to working class, um, you know, they weren't being dropped off in cars. They were taking the city bus. And um, so when we're, when we were practicing, we always, always warmed up to that song because I just thought it made them feel so special. Like just a kid from a neighborhood. We're all kids from the neighborhood. Yeah. That, that like solidarity kind of thing. But like, yeah, everything on that album, even like only for a moment is probably one of their more like poppy kind of tunes on that. I love that one. And it, it, that is very much like, cause that came out in like late 2018 and it really is about like kind of picking yourself up after a bad mental health episode. And what happened shortly after that, um, like three people I knew died. And I was I was waiting for that moment when it's like, I just like, I'm looking and grasping for like the littlest moments of release. And mm -hmm. so like the, everything on that, um, eyes on the prize, like that, like my, again, my kids loved that song. So. Um, yeah, every single thing on that. I think one of my, um, the only song of that album that I don't really like is Show Me, Don't Tell Me. I think it's just a little boring, but like, it's, um, yeah, that is a real banger rally cry. And so I, it's, it's interesting because they haven't, I mean, if you count Campfire Chords, they haven't had a full length original release since then. And so I don't know why I don't find myself looking that forward to Blink Ones. Maybe it's because I, I haven't liked their last couple singles that much. Um, but I'm just, I, I kind of like, like, man, we had some good memories and now it's time for them to be someone else's band. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm just sort of thinking about you, you kind of running through, I mean, let's, let's zero and relentless a little bit more, uh, mostly because you talk about kind of the anthemic quality of it. I mean, that's what they opened with the last time that I saw it. And yeah. that was... That was a really interesting moment, even just for me, because you know I uh, had had gone and got full circle, so they say, in that in um, in Edmonton uh, Rogers Place, which is where the Oilers play, is like basically across the, the street. <laughs> who? The uh, the team with uh, with with more cups, um, you know, in the in the recent three decades, oh, four you mean, decades you mean, than the Leafs have. You mean Connor McDavid and a bunch of random little pylons. You, you mean the best, most talented hockey player in the world uh, bummed out of his mind? You mean the team that paid as much for Darnell Nurse and Cody Cece? <laughs> Sorry. 
I love Connor McDavid so much and I want to save him. <laughs> I'm a little tired of the the save McDavid Leafs fans. I'm not even going to engage okay, in this one. Okay, then. Save McDavid <laughs> and Dreisaitl. Good God. You guys you can't signed split them up. actual elderly man Mike Smith on a multi-year deal. But anyway, Roger's place. So... <laughs> Enjoy Hyman, man. That's all I can say. So the last time I saw the Arkells was at Roger's place. And I, I think it was the first, well, it was the first time I'd ever seen them do an arena show. But like even like arena tours were still a little bit newer to them. Like if, if you talk about the venues here in Edmonton, yeah. like the Arkells are a band that started at uh, campuses and graduated to a place called uh, Starlight Room, which is kind of one of those, you know, standing room only kind of uh, it, small stage club vibe type yeah. venues and then like you know the next sort of logical step up from that was like the convention Danforth center Musical, yeah yeah um yeah we have like, we have a few medium theaters like that you know what i mean and then like now they're playing arenas mm-hmm. and it's like like right across the street from McEwen university which i said right off the top is where i saw them for the first time and and so like <laughs> you know i i had gone from you know, across the street from here less than a decade ago, watching them play this, this like stage in the open commons of a, of a school I didn't even go to, to um, them like literally throwing down relentless as fog machines go off. And, you know, Max comes out in his fringe jacket. It's become such an iconic jacket. I love the jacket so much. And so like, you know what I mean? Like just think about marking time with that. It's like this, like these guys have, I mean, they're still kind of the sweethearts of our generation as far as Canadian music goes, oh, and yeah. I think they won't stop being that. No, and I no. think that, you know, I, I, I'd I be curious how much of, like, say somebody that is in their first year of university now, how relatable they find the Arkells. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, they've done good. Yeah. And, and that was just, it was a fun place to be and, and just a real sort of scene setter for what this band has become. Yeah. So my last loose note that I'm really, um, I'm I'm excited to get your perspective on, but I'm also very nervous. You because, have notes? I've just been winging it. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm a very <laughs> butt kissy little uh, brown nosy note taker. Um, so, and I mentioned just last night with, uh, with Cam Gordon um, that I know there's a lot of strong feelings about comparing one band to another, especially if it's an older band or a band that is very beloved. I'm gonna say it, um, and I'm very nervous to say it. It's gonna get me canceled. But I do see in the future, provided like, you know, they just still keep making music and being good guys. I see the Arkells becoming immortalized in a similar way that the hip is. And I know that saying that a band could be, you know, our generation's tragically hip. I know that's a big, big thing to say. And again, I'm not just getting a lot of boomers mad, get a lot of boomers mad at me for this. I know a lot of millennials who would get mad at me for that. But um it's mainly in the terms of the fact that they're really amazing guys who work really hard. They just keep putting out music. They write music for everyone. They're generally on the right side of history when it comes to a lot of issues. Like when Gord Downey announced that he had cancer, when Gord Downey passed away, the world didn't mourn because Gord Downey was the best singer who's ever lived. The world mourned because Gord is a dedicated performer and a great person who created music and put on shows and performed in a way that made people very, very happy. So I actually think, provided our Kelsar stay the way they are, that they can have a similar legacy in Canadian music history. 
I, I'm not going to disagree with you. you Thank know, you. I, I, well, and, and that's just, I mean, first of all, you laid it out incredibly eloquently, but I think, you know, we're both, we can call our, I mean, we're both born in 89, we call ourselves 90s kids. And yeah. so, I mean, the hip was very much in that, that moment of, uh, especially in the early days, like trying to find success in the US, but just being beloved in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and they worked hard to, cement that too i mean like the hip played every small town every uh rural bar that they could get into like they really pounded the pavement to embed themselves into it but they they sang about canada they sang about things that are very sort of uniquely relatable here i mean like if i can actually throw a little tiny bit of criticism at rally cry is that there's a lot of american references oh yeah so much and it felt like you know on the one hand you know the band is becoming more popular in the in the US and and good for them and they're trying to find that success and, and I mean that's actually something that they have never really quite cultivated but yeah. they're okay with that they for, you know they for like what it's that worth, though I regularly pull my many american friends and say like do people know the arkells and i have to say the only American friends I have who really know the Arkells are Leafs fans because Kyle Dubas and Max Kerman are best friends. So I I don't think it's hit that critical mass in the U.S., but... But let's even unpack that there, right? Because, like, I mean, like the hip... The Arkells are very embedded in other pieces of Canadian pop culture. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, The Raptors, the Leafs, like... Yeah, exactly. Um, High cats. Yeah. I mean, and you throw, throw us CFL fans a bone here, would you? Oh, I've decided that this is the year. Now that the CFL's back, this is the year I'm finally going to get into football, and the NFL is getting none of my attention. CFL all the way, baby. Um, yes. Oh my God. Okay, I could. Oh, you want to? You want to do a? You want to do an episode on the CFL? I am there. I am the, the you know, a, a weird breed of millennial CFL super fans. Well, and since moving to Norfolk County, the Tie Cats are going to be my closest team, nice. and I actually have some Tie Cats merch just from my time in Hamilton so nice um, that'll be fun but no you mentioned like oh are they, uh, it'll be interesting to see if someone who's in first year university can relate to the Arkells the way we do like my hypothesis is no simply because they're not growing up with the same kind of music we are like we came from a generation where alt rock emo uh you know not maybe a little bit of ska if you were like super into poppers as a as a high school student like that was what we came up with. And so it was really easy to ease ourselves into a band like Arkells, which were still alt rock, but more on the happy side and like pop mm-hmm. influences and uh, and stuff. Um, I don't necessarily think that's what Gen Z is coming into adulthood with. But then almost like the hip, like, was I into the hip as a kid? No. Was I in, even into the hip as a high school student? No, I respected them, but I wasn't into them. It was as yeah, an adult I, I can abs- that yeah, I had I my- I can absolutely relate yeah, to that. Maybe dad was onto something kind of thing. And like, I, I'm not going to pretend that I grew up into the hip. I grew into the hip. And so I think that might be more the experience that Gen Z has with the Arkells. Like kind of, I mean, they are kind of becoming a dad band because the guys like, I mean, the guys themselves are becoming dads. But they are literally yeah. dads, yes. Yeah, which I think also my sister knows Tony's wife, which I think is really funny. Uh, they're both photographers. So that's like, and, and I so I, several times I was just like, tell him I love him. But um, no, so I think that might kind of be there, like the legacy that they age themselves into, which is really cool. Uh, 
I mean, because you know, you sort of talk about that, and, and like even like I'm 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 very similar to you in that like you know the, the hip wasn't uh, wasn't the thing that I was into in high school or even as a kid, and it wasn't even really um, a band that my parents listened to in particular. It was something that I I latched on to later. But you know, if if you really think about it, like what hip lyrics do you understand if you're a child? Yeah. Um, so much of it is cultural and, and touchstone that you you know you need to be a little bit more of a mature person to to latch on to. So I mean, in a way, the hip was sort of like the one generation before us's band. Yeah. Um, much the way that you know we are finding this band to be woven into like the Canadian zeitgeist right around the time that you know they're maturing and right around the time that our generation that grew up with them so to speak is maturing mm-hmm. and you know that's that's why I'm, I'm excited to see what they do next you know what I mean and it's like it is one of those things that like I, I totally get your sort of nervousness about the next album but I'm also just you know when you think about you actually are not as as into you know, some of the stuff that they've done post rally cry, but I was like, I love years in the making. I think that it is, you know, again, like leans into that anthem, but like brings the big bold horn section out and is, uh, you know, kind of throws back into like a little bit of that Motown vibe that they've always had behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, same with People's Champ, you know, it's a, uh, another piano driven call and response, just sort of that thing where it's like, they know how to do this more than anybody else does. And so I'm at the spot where I'm like, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to look back on the Arkells and I get it. And I think that I, I'm also trying to like uncouple my nostalgia for as we might put it, peak Arkells, um, with my nostalgia for what my life was back then. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, both of our lives were were probably more stressful in many ways, but also just a lot simpler then. And and you know, was was at this sort of like discovery period of youth that you're in. And and now that this band is you know getting a little bit more political and and knowing how to like throw themselves into a stadium and kind of massaging themselves in that direction, I think you you could entirely be right. Yeah. So we're getting into the lightning round, which I, I still need like a, uh, this is becoming a semi-regular segment. So I feel like I need an air horn of sort of like a, but that's uh, for another day. So Sam, welcome to the lightning round. Uh, the goal is to answer as quickly as possible and rely on your instincts here. So oh boy, Arkell's history, whether it was recorded, live, spontaneous, what is your favorite collaboration or duet that they've done? Um. I saw them at the CNE the year that I lived in Toronto, and they and lights jumped up on stage with them. That was fun. I was there, and they sang uh, they sang um, uh, Hall Notes track. You make my dreams come true. Yeah, it was so cool. Which is what the what uh, plays when the Leafs score on Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. It's the Leafs goal song. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just keep twisting that knife. Oh yeah, um, and uh, so. My favorite, which, yeah, I was at that show, but my favorite duet is also a Lights duet. This is a bit of a cheat. It's actually on Lights' acoustic album for Siberia, and she did um, the song Siberia with as a duet with Max Kerman. And it's I did not really, know that. It's nice to hear him just singing, not shouting, not pushing his voice too much. It's a really, really sweet. It's the last song. You're really concerned for the man's voice. I'm concerned for everyone's voice, man. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> um, okay, your favorite Motown cover that they do. Ooh, uh, Science Seal Delivered. Oh, that's a great one. I like Get Ready. 
It's one of my nice. favorite songs. Yeah. Um, it suits them so well. It's just, it's perfect tempo. It's a bop. I actually- As, as an aside, uh, Kelly and I are planning our wedding right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like, we're we're nearly convinced we're going to tell the DJ just to spin Motown all night because I think that would be fun. Mo- you know, I used to go to Starlight, uh, Starlight Social Club in Waterloo, which I think might no longer exist, but they used to have Funk Fridays, which was great because Funk oh, Fridays- Oh, it'd be fun. Oh, it was so great. It got everyone dancing because even- even like if you don't like dancing to hip hop, if you don't think you're sexy, which like I don't, I don't think I'm sexy, but like Motown is, and funk is so easy to just bop to. No one's self conscious dancing to that. Yeah. Um, okay. What is your favorite um, favorite acoustic song that they do? Favorite acoustic song? Ah, I you know it's uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, I was listening to Campfire Chords like when I was driving a little while ago and I was just, I was really into Acoustic People's Champ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, it's like, yeah. it's fun stripped down. It, uh, it, it plays a little more like a country song. Yeah. So this is a song that I don't like the original version of, but mm. I really, and, and I think the original version of it is like a very overrated song, but I love the, um, the acoustic version of it is I'm Not the Sun. I think, oh, it, cool. I think that song was meant to be acoustic. And when I yeah. heard it acoustic, I was like, oh, this is how the song is meant to be. So, mm-hmm. um, Okay. Um, most Great segue. Most overrated song. Ooh. Um, I don't think it's the most overrated song, but I'm getting a little sick of knocking at the door. And I think it's just because it kind of got thrown into this like moment of commercial success where it was every sports team's anthem. Yeah. Um, like all at once. And it was just like, it was just, it went from zero to a thousand all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, and I'll say this might shock people because it's like everyone's favorite early song of theirs, but I just don't think it's held the test of time that much. And I think they become so much better since the song. I think John Lennon is a very overrated song. Mm. Yeah. I also think yeah. John Lennon, the singer, is very overrated, but that's a, that's another thing for another time. But Okay, so most underrated song. Most underrated song. Uh, I'm going to go deep, and it's, you know, I don't actually have a... Um, I don't have a I don't have a concrete reason for it other than just I like the song structure and I like the way it moves. Mm-hmm. Agent Zero. Oh, I love Agent Zero. That's a good one. It's it's really dramatic. I just the yeah. one thing about it, I wish it were longer. It's actually yeah. a really short. I know what song. you mean. Yeah. Um. So I've got a, another one from Michigan Left, which I going through Michigan Left is actually a very underrated album in general. Like it's not like I don't think it's their best album, but it. Like they almost never play songs for Michigan Left at, uh, at yeah. And, and like I said before, Michigan Left was was like the soundtrack of my introduction to Ontario yeah. and my introduction to Toronto. And like I kid you not, Bree, I was you know a a your a, a female companion at the time, uh, and I uh, decided we'd go to Niagara for a day trip and rented a car. And she made a mix CD. And as we were rolling into Hamilton, it clicked onto an Arkells track, um, which is just like, you know, serendipitous and, and weird and, and kind of confusing, but like also awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing about Michigan Left is like, I, I adore that album. And I'm trying to figure out if it's so much that like... 
I adore that album the same way that I adore Blue Rodeo's Five Days in July. And part of it is because it is a wickedly solid album. And part of it is because it was released the summer that my family started taking camping trips. And like that was, you know, just such an unbelievably formative experience yeah. for me. And so, you know, that's, I, so I'm, I'm sort of at that place with Michigan left. I'm just like, was I just so excited about this big change in my life at that time? I or do also, I like, genuinely love that album? There's a good, I mean, I, and uh, I don't want to repeat myself so much from my Radiohead episode, but like kind of culture is art plus context. And I think like, it's very fair to say like, oh yeah, maybe I just like this that much because of the time of my life it was in or whatever. But here's the thing. If it weren't an amazing album, it wouldn't resonate with you. And, that's true and and that like something can be incredibly well times but like there were a lot of albums that came out in the best year of my life or whatever and i don't remember them all um so for me though i think an underrated banger and it's from michigan left is uh where are you going i i think oh, yeah. that song has yeah. a great build I, like and again so specific they're literally talking about dorms highway names yeah dorms and highway names in there <laughs> And that was how I learned. I didn't know that the 402 was a highway because I've actually never been that far west. But I felt I, like, I yeah. assumed it was one because I, I didn't think the government of Ontario would just skip a number. But uh, I, I, like, you know, again, the 400 series of highways yeah. is like Such this thing Ontario that was a little part thing. of my life for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think Where You Going is very underrated. It's got great build. Again, I love I love a good building song like that. Just, mm -hmm. uh, so then what is a cover that you'd like to see them do? Oh, oh man. I am going to, I think they could rip up a Billy Joel track. And I know that I mentioned Billy Joel okay, before, but I they was have gonna the piano say chops. Billy Joel. I was going like, to say what Vienna. if they did like, oh, Vienna would be cool. I was going to say, I mean, like as in a live set, like they could, you know they they could absolutely slay if they just like went as like uptown girl or something like that oh yeah but like vienna would be amazing oh, tony would kill that and i think yeah. it actually suits max's voice when you're slow down and you crazy child yeah like i could see so him ambitious for a juvenile, juvenile. Um, we are not in sync oh, okay <laughs> i will sync it up and we'll sound amazing <laughs> um no but i guess since you said billy joel the other thing and like i know it might sound a bit trite but I would really love to see them cover Courage because um, I don't know if they've done, uh, if they have done any hip songs. They, they must have, surely, um, but uh, it's not coming to me. Um, yeah. So then, I mean, they make references to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Campfire Can't Last Forever. They have only, only wrote, wrote so many, many songs. songs. Um, so, I mean, we know that they know how to play acoustic hip songs. Yes. Um, uh, so, best uh, favorite show you've ever seen by them? Um, hmm. I, because I, I loved their most recent one. Like, I loved the arena show at, at Roger's Place. And I think it was just, you know, it was, it was, it was such this like moment of kind of this bit of pride of having seen this band like done so well and also just being in this wicked good mood and, and back when like, you know, you could dance on the floor and have beer spilled on you by people, which I know <laughs> sounds terrifying to you, but like that, that gives me energy. So yeah. I'm all for that. But, you know, I think also after that, I mean, I, I referenced that show at the CNE and I think that, you know, that one was just 
it was special because I, you know, it, it was one of the first like Toronto things I went to living in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Arkells were playing at it, which just like added to sort of the, you know, the, the, the triple decker sandwich that that city is. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, I think that even though it was just like kind of a, I'm not going to say forgettable festival show at all because I don't think they really just have like you know, forgettable shows. But I mean, like festival circuit shows are they're short sets and they kind of do different things at them and that kind of thing. But it was just like I remember being feeling so great after that uh, the same way as, uh, you know, um, the week that I moved to Toronto was when Metric released Synthetica and they played like a free outdoor show and played the album. And I remember going to it and it was just like a very, you know, welcome to the big city moment. And yeah. and that's, yeah. So that's why I'm going to go with that C&E show. Great. Um, which also, I'm just going to say this and put it out there and people can cancel me if they want for this. I hate the C&E and I always have. <laughs> it's just I... fried foods and animals in captivity. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'll take the fried foods, but um, I don't want to see a no. sad pig. Like, <laughs> but I, I also, I mean, I, I, I find myself still going to those, you know, traveling exhibitions like purely for the concerts, mm-hmm. and even that is kind of fading off at this point. Like, I mean, I don't know what the future of K Days here in Edmonton is, but I do know that in the last iteration of it, the concerts were separately ticketed and were suddenly like not just gate admission anymore. And I was yeah. like, that was kind of my limit. I was just like, yeah, this, this yeah. isn't even worth it anymore. I I won't go on midway rides ever since. I, again, this is a future episode of the show, but Final Destination Three, I will not go on midway rides after that. But no. My um, my favorite show I ever saw from them, uh, and like I said, I've seen them a lot. I was going to go with Danforth Music Hall, fall of 2014, which was right after the release of High Noon. However, actually, I will. what I will say, and you know, I said earlier I was looking for my only for a moment moment, and when um, it might have been early 2012, like kind of winter-ish, and it was a gig they played in Element at Elements Nightclub in Kitchener, um, which I don't know if that still exists. Um, I'm not a nightclub person, so, um, but it was a fantastic show because it was a great period for them. It was post-Michigan left, but also um, Tony was in the band at that point. And mm. so that was their first, my first time seeing like what happens when you've got a really, really creative keyboardist, a pianist uh, doing his thing. Like they did a million different things, like launching into a cover of Lonely Boy right in the middle of one of my favorite songs, Pulling Punches. And like, because oh, Lonely cool. Boy was everywhere in that, that time. Yeah. And, like, God, Black Keys, they really fell off the map, didn't they? Um, I was like... <sighs> that's that's a whole other episode yeah um but no it was my last year of university was just so hard for so many reasons like just i had kind of reached the end of my rope in terms of the energy i was putting out towards you know making sure my grades were good and realizing oh my god like what do i do after this like i'm, I'm not going to law school so like what what do i do and um i was stressed out all the time i was miserable all the time like i didn't really even have friends and i just i'm like I'm going to go to the show. I'm going to go alone. Like I don't need to go with anyone. And I think actually my roommate did end up coming with me, but, um, and I got, got my ticket comped cause I got to interview them. But, um, I just remember like that, 
their music was still so feel good for me at that moment. And they put on such a tight show, so fun. They were still so scrappy. And that was the moment when I felt like, you know, everything's okay right now. And this is a band that makes me feel very okay. So, um, yeah. I think, I think it's interesting that like both of the shows that we referenced are from basically like the same year, Mm -hmm. if not certainly the same era of the band. Pre high noon. Um, Yeah. So now that we have barreled toward the peak, I want to ask you what you think the peak was. And I'll say, like, remember, peaks mean different things to different people. Like some people just think it's what was their best, whatever. Sometimes it's like, where could you start or stop listening? Like, you know, or the last good album or whatever. So and and in some cases, it it is a peak because it aligns with personal experiences. So for you, what is peak Arkells? That's interesting because I'm, I'm, you know, there's, I can make an argument that they could be heading towards a different peak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, you know, peak personal experience would have to be, I mean, High Noon was also the album when I got to be on stage with them and, and mm-hmm. shoot photos for them and that kind of thing too. And like, remember that, uh, you know, uh, that was when uh, Leather Jacket was like one of the big, one of the biggest radio singles in Canada, yeah. and they were like actually a little obsessed with promoting it. And I think that they, you know, they they knew that they were sort of in like a little bit of a period of change, but they could command these crowds, mm-hmm. and they like had sort of cemented that kind of sweetheart status in Canada. So I'd say that like probably around them. Yeah, and I I, I would say for me. I think this is the first time I've been fully in agreement with a guest on a peak. I think High Noon was very much a peak in the period immediately after. Um, I think their shows were just electric at that point. I yeah. think... Um, their shows they, are all bangers. Like, that's the other thing, too, right? It's like they, they, what a great live band. Yeah. They are, yeah. And they like they don't they don't make you eat your vegetables. Like they don't put weird album songs in that, that they know don't play well. They've never, they've never played coffee at a... Uh, at a show for a reason really <laughs> i yeah yeah which i they they've never fully answered the question i'm pretty sure the answer is no but everyone always asks are they a christian band and it's largely because of the song coffee and they kind of cheekily won't answer that question and i think that's fine but um yeah um so with with high noon i think that was also a moment of this is who these guys are and mm-hmm. this is like they had very much commanded themselves as musicians. They had a lot of confidence. They still tried really hard to be different. Like I like that that was kind of the last time that we were still really singing about Hamilton and singing about those personal experiences. Um, and, you know, like I'll say it's also the last time singing about Hamilton was relevant to them because, you know, like you said, they're they're getting to a point where they're too old to be singing about their college experience and stuff. So I get it. But I just think that was kind of the perfect recipe of like everything that made them the Arkells. But I think you're right. I think what it was is probably more of an inciting incident that kind of guaranteed that these guys are going to have a great career after this. And even if oh, they yeah, release a couple sure. of I mean, I, I still don't think morning report was a good album at all but i think like the success of um of high noon can kind of carry them past morning report and then you know you build more goodwill with something like rally cry and so i think that was just a uh, something that really showed the world like these guys know what they're doing uh they mm-hmm. write good music they do great shows and um i think that was also the last time i interviewed them was right after the high noon release and it was just um it was just Mike and Max that I interviewed and they were just so like 
they're like we feel a lot more confidence but we also like this is this is an album that is founded in a decent amount of anger and this is an album that is a, like a decent amount of like questioning everything around us and stuff and i'm like that's something everyone can relate to and a very millennial experience so yeah i'm gonna go with high noon like it all right so sam uh where can where can our listeners find you follow you support you you know do do whatever they can to kind of get into the world of sam brooks uh, to get into the, oh my god I do I want you guys in my world yes I do um, <laughs> uh, on Twitter I am at Samuel G Brooks I you know if you're if you like the CFL and follow things going on in Alberta that would be fun or to see pictures of my dog the G stands or, for Good Prairie Boy yes that is correct <laughs> that is what my parents named me uh, yeah at Samuel G Brooks on Twitter um, I'm on you know uh, Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson daily news and current affairs show love that gig uh, you know the technical producer. And uh, I make it. I make it look and sound good, and it's just fun to be part of an ambitious indie media project. Uh, we're on every day live on YouTube, live on the Mixler streaming audio app, or wherever you find podcasts. All the information's at ryanjesperson.com. Um, and uh, if you're in Edmonton, uh, DM me, and I'll get you a. I'll I'll get you a pint at Arcadia. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Sam. It was always it's always a pleasure whenever we get together. You are officially my third yeah, blue checkmark guest, too. So that's pretty neat. Um, so as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde, and you can find me online at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. Uh, new episodes are due at every second Thursday. You do not want to miss them. And we've got a pretty fantastic back catalog, if I do say so myself. We've got episodes on King of the Hill, The Office, Saw, Scream, a whole month of The Simpsons. We got Canadian indie music radiohead and we've got episodes coming up on america's next top model my personal guilty pleasure uh we've got episodes coming up on seinfeld arrested development american dad and so much more and uh soon you're gonna get to hear the peak of peak show reunion episode so stick around for that our theme song is by jack dump it is an original composition because they rule you can find them online at bandcamp.com jack dump show art is by none other than my husband jared daly uh, give us five stars on iTunes or go to hell. Thank you very much. Keep peeking. I love your sign off. Uh, you love the one shot live to tape. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>